0: Welcome back to the POPs Podcast. If you're new here or if you've been here many, many times, everyone is welcome, always, here at POPs. This week's message is entitled, Faith in Healing from our Brother Kishore. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's message.
1: So let's look together at this love today in Matthew 9. So we started last time, Matthew 9, verse 1. We'll look at this. This is getting into the boat. He crossed over and came to his own city. And Mark, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, same passage, but he gives a little more detail. He says, when he returned to Capernaum after a few days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. I love that. Preaching the word to them. And we saw last time how after healing the demon-possessed man on the other side, he comes back to his home base of Capernaum. And then Jesus is packing the house with his preaching and there were people there who were happy to hear what he was saying and then there were people who were not so happy about what he was saying. It says in Luke uh, chapter five verse 17, it says, on one of those days as he was teaching, again this was the same day, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So these are Jesus' enemies, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the ones who would eventually be making the decision to have him killed. They're all there, listening. And they're eagerly waiting for Jesus to say something or do something that would incriminate him because they're looking for a reason to kill him, to get rid of him forever, they thought, by getting rid of his life. And they were not going to be disappointed in this moment because it tells us here in Luke that the power of the Lord to heal was with him. And this, you know, this word power, dunamis, you know, both Aji and I get pretty excited about this word when we see it. Dunamis is the Greek for, for, for power, but it's where we get that English word dynamite. So I imagine this. It's like Jesus being up there preaching the word to people, talking to the spiritual realm with a lit stack of Satan-destroying dynamite in his hand, and it's lit. I'm not talking about lit like the young guys. I know there's some young guys in here. I'm not talking about lit. I, I got teenage daughters. I know you No, I'm talking about lit like it's, it's like the fuse is going. It's about to blow. And the enemy and his minions, they're just about to be burnt, burnt toast before this story ends. So let's keep going. Matthew 9, verse 2. The first half of it, it says, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Mark tells us in, in verse 3 of chapter 2 that it was four men. So there's these four men that, that, that are bringing this paralytic. But first, Matthew tells us to behold. Behold. And we've talked about this word before here. Behold is the Greek word edu. And it's, it's translated in, in many Bibles as see or look or behold. But you know what else? In some versions of the Bible, it doesn't even show up. They just, like, neglect that word I saw when I was preparing for this week. And I don't know why, because this word, it's found 200 times in the New Testament. And almost a third of them are found in this book, in Matthew. So Matthew really likes us to behold, to behold, right? And, I, and try this. You know, I've done this with my wife before. It doesn't go over well, but I say, behold, woman, I doth picked up this loaf of bread on my way at home from work. And usually, you know, I just get the, can you, can you just get the bread out of the car, man? So, anyway, <laughs> it doesn't work so well in our modern language, but it was used a lot in the old English to tell people, hey, slow down. Slow down and, and pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. And isn't it sad that today most of us are, are, are too busy even to slow down to even notice this word in the Bible? In fact, we talked about translators just taking the word out because nobody wants to slow down. But this is one of the over 60 times that Matthew tells us, behold, slow down, check out what's about to happen because it's going to be amazing. And last time we talked about what life must have been like for this paralyzed man who's being brought before Jesus, right? There's no health care back then, there's no home nursing, there's no medications or anything like that. And, and, and without being able to move on his own, right, he's, he's going to get these painful bed sores on his body we talked about, get infections, completely dependent on others. Imagine that life. These four friends were, were, were definitely friends because they had to take care of this man for everything, and they were so incredibly dedicated to him that when they couldn't get in the front door, <laughs> they made an alternate entrance through the roof, it tells us in Mark, chapter 2 verse 4 it says and when they could not get near him because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay so first off I want to take notice of something that if you've been a Christian for a long time you probably take for granted but do you realize how amazing it is that we have so many different vantage points in the Bible that there are four Gospels, and three of them are describing this exact story in this moment. Matthew and Mark and Luke are all describing and recording this event from their vantage point so that we can put ourselves into that scene, this hot, crowded, smelly, likely, one-room house where these guys were all crowded together to hear the Savior of the world preach the word. And these four guys are hoisting their friend up on top of a roof, and making a hole in the roof and laying him down finding some rope probably to lay him down at Jesus feet and Matthew uses some words that tell us just how frantically these four friends wanted to get him to Jesus it said Matthew tells us that this man was lying on the bed but this word for lying on the bed it's it's below and I think I included the, the little Greek things in there and that word balo it means to throw quickly okay so it's like when your alarm goes off in the morning and you snooze and you snooze and oops you unplug or something like that and you don't wake up and you realize oh my I'm late for work right and these days maybe not so much now as maybe six months ago but a lot of folks working from home and so it wasn't so bad to wake up late you just had to bellow a shirt on right you just quickly throw something on you don't even need pants anymore right you just you just throw the shirt on and I can imagine just these four guys these four friends they're arriving at their Paralyzed friends home, and they just heard about Jesus this healer who across the sea had just healed These demon-possessed men and they've got this idea. They're thinking man, you know He put the the demons into the pigs right so they're like listen Let's get over there man because it's bacon time. Oh, wait. No sorry, they're Jewish That was just that was what God downloaded to me guys. I'm sorry probably not for the Jewish crowd, but still They're excited about what Jesus is gonna do for their friend, right? And when they get there, that crowded room, that's not going to stop them, right? They lower him down, and then, and then they offer their friend as a living sacrifice to Jesus. Why do I say it that way? Because the word that we get for brought, you know, in, in the English when it says they brought him before Jesus, that word is prospero. And prospero means to offer as a sacrifice. So they're taking their friend, they're bringing him down to the roof, and they're laying him down at the feet of the Savior, as a living sacrifice before him. They're saying, Jesus, whatever you want to do to our friend, we have faith that it's gonna be good. They were completely surrendered to Jesus' will. Whatever Jesus was gonna do, they trusted that God's will was gonna be greater than even their own. And brothers, this is literally, this is the definition of faith. Okay, Hebrews 11.1, we've heard it, we know it. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So these men were standing on a firm knowledge that Jesus could and would heal their friend. Okay, so that word for assurance is upostasis, which is fun to say. And you can say it on your way home. It's a lot of fun. Upostasis! And upostasis... It's translated as assurance in the ESV that I use, but it's actually a combination of two Greek words that actually mean substance, or firmness, or steadiness, like a foundation. Like right now, I'm standing on, this is not going to crack. I got a little fat over the COVID time, but this is not going to crack under me, right? I, have, I know that this is a foundation. So this is what this word upostasis means. It says faith is the substance, the, the, the foundation. And we're going to see of what. But I want to say, before we get too far, that and some of us some of us in here need to hear tonight that it is as biblical as it can be to hope for things that sound impossible that the world would say this uh, yeah that's not going to happen this is impossible we should as as bible followers as christ followers we should know that these are things that we can hope for and maybe you right or someone you love maybe you have like a medical thing going on, some psychological issues, anxieties, depressions, whatever. Maybe your marriage is on some shaky ground. Maybe your job situation is looking a little bit murky. Maybe you've got these addictions that just never seem to give up on you. I want you to hear this, that as a follower of Jesus, you should always, always have hope. Standing firmly on the foundation of Jesus' desire for healing in your life and his his, his desire for provision in your life. And when things seem hopeless to you, because all of us have had moments in our life where something seems hopeless, then number one, we need to recognize that that's a lie from the enemy, that there is always hope with Jesus. And two, it's time to find a friend or four who can carry that hope for you until the Holy Spirit can revive it in your own soul again. I'm telling you, if you're looking for somebody to carry that hope for you in this moment for whatever it is that you're dealing with, please lay it on me. And I'm telling you why. It's not because I'm some super spiritual guy. It's because I have seen God come through too many times in my own life to not believe that I can't carry hope for you and what God's going to do for you. So never hesitate. Never hesitate. Bring it to someone. If it's not me, bring it to somebody here tonight. Say, I have lost hope. I am not praying like I should about this thing anymore because I don't see how it's ever going to come out. And I've been praying to God and it's not changing. Forget all of that. Bring it to somebody tonight. Pray with them tonight. Amen. Watch God work. I've seen Him work too many times. Watch Him work in your life. So it says faith is the substance or assurance that we can have hope in any situation, but it's also the conviction of things not seen. And conviction is the word elenkas. And elenkas, it means proof or confirmation. Proof or confirmation. And in the case of faith, it's of something that we can't see with our earthly eyes. And it's why it's so important to only have faith in God. Because he's the only one that I can trust who will never fail. Right? You may have faith that the Steelers you know, draft choices are going to be great this year, right? I'm telling you as a Bears fan, Justin Fields, I got some faith in that little boy right now, okay? However, I don't really know what these guys are going to do until they hit the field, right? And I really, really don't know what they're going to do until week one of the playoffs, right? For a Bears fan like that's dreaming big, week one of the playoffs. But even then, they're, they're like an injury away, and that's, that's that, right? So I can't have really true faith in those things, right? Some of us may have faith, our, our bank account or investments or, are doing great at... But there's no guarantee in that. There's no guarantee that your job or their salary or the stocks don't have fluctuations in, in, in the wrong direction. You, you can't have full faith in that. You can't even have full faith. I'm going to, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to think, but you can't even have full faith necessarily in your spouse or your children or your parents. Why? We've all heard stories where those things, we put a bunch of faith in, in, in a person and those relationships can turn directions that we didn't expect but faith in Jesus never fails. Amen? Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, I have had faith that Jesus would come through in this area of my life and it hasn't happened. And all I can say to that is this, continue, continue to keep your eyes focused on what you cannot see, because it may not happen in the way that you expect. It may not even happen on this side of eternity, but it will happen If you have hope based on the foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ, even when you cannot see it, especially if what you're hoping for ends up increasing your ability to love God or love others, I'm guaranteeing it will come to pass. It will. God always answers our prayers. Matthew 9, continuing, verse 2. The second half of it, it says, so when Jesus saw their faith, the friend's faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So the faith that Jesus saw in these four friends, it was their willingness to sacrifice, to offer their friend at his feet, that they had assurance that they could hope for the healing. And even though they couldn't see it, they knew Jesus' heart for their friend And that was all the proof and evidence that they needed. And last time we talked about how the faith of those friends is what moved Jesus to act. But today I wanna talk about how Jesus doesn't immediately bring the physical healing to this man, does he? Instead, he first does something that nobody else would be able to physically see. And I think again, Matthew is saying, behold, stop, look at this. Look at this, Jesus heals this man, one, because of his friend's faith, and such an important message for us to remember from last time but also that he doesn't heal this man's paralysis immediately and it's so easy to read the Bible and to read it so quickly like a skimming almost that we forget that each verse in the Bible carries with itself a real time sequence right it's not like this sentence and then immediately this sentence happens there's a time sequence that's going on and often the time period between verses might be longer than we can truly understand especially when we know the story really well and we just want to get to that final part right I've read this story so many times I've never stopped on verse 2 I'm like hey let's get to the point where this guy's getting up and walking and, and, and picking up his mat but not tonight right tonight we behold we behold how these four friends threw the paralyzed man under the stretcher and rushed him to Jesus And we remember how they use this quick thinking to get this man to Jesus through the roof. And we remember how now they've rushed, they've rushed, they've rushed, they've got him at Jesus' feet. And they're waiting. They're like, what? We were getting here so fast for you to do something right away, Jesus. And the expectation and the excitement that they must have had. And then they're waiting. Because this Jesus, in whom they have faith for his ability to heal their friend, this Jesus doesn't immediately heal him. Instead, he says some words about forgiving, of forgiving this man's sin, but not about the immediate healing that their faith was in, their expectations, their hope was in. And like so many of us here today, if we're honest, there's somebody, ourselves or somebody else in our life, and we're waiting on that healing. And we're waiting on God to do it. And we have to recognize in those moments that God's plans are so much greater than our own plans, that something's coming and it's going to be better, than we ever imagined and we're gonna see here in the coming verses that Jesus is going to do a physical healing for this man but these friends their faith how, how true is it gonna be it's gonna be tested would they keep their focus on the evidence of things not seen and we're gonna come back to that in a couple of weeks when we when we complete this portion of looking at the healing but I wanna just set that up is there's a time frame here that we're gonna be sitting in as we behold And as you think about the areas in your own life that you're awaiting something miraculous perhaps even to occur, I feel like it's also important to say this and it's important to hear. There are people who will tell you that your lack of healing or your loved one's lack of healing or their continued struggles in this life are because of something that you are doing wrong. If only you had enough faith, you would never get ill. You would never have any struggle. Because you struggle, you're being punished for something that you lack spiritually or some sin that you've committed. And like I said, we're going to talk about this more next time, but for now, know this, that these are misguided and not biblical statements. They're usually from people who have not yet experienced the overwhelming love and mercy of Jesus. You have to know the real Jesus to know the Savior who came to humbly die for sinners and never once punished a single sinner during his ministry on earth. So let me say this. Jesus is not causing your illness or your struggle or your family member's illness or struggle. No, Jesus sees you and loves you. He sees your faith, and even though you may not see it yet, you have to have hope that Jesus will always finish like what He starts, <laughs> and almost it always comes, it won't be in your time. He takes that but He will finish. Into and remember this: He always has he a much, much bigger plan. You trust in Him. Keep believing and having hope. And, and keep faith in what you cannot see, and then be open to whatever practice. it is in that so God wants to do next, because you'll never be disappointed. So I feel like that part. This is a message for somebody. Here tonight. I, I know it wasn't just for me. It definitely was for me, but I know it's not just for me tonight. So let's go back to where we left off in Matthew 9:2. So Jesus sees the faith of the friends, and Jesus speaks directly now to the paralytic, and he says, "Take heart, take heart." And that word is "tharseo," and "tharseo" is is it's an amazing word. It's only found five times in all of the Gospels. Only five times here with this paralyzed man in a few verses later in the same chapter when the woman is healed from bleeding there's a healing of a blind man Bartimaeus that we're gonna see uh, where 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 take heart Tharseo is used when Jesus walks on the water to the disciples and rescues them from the storm and then in John 16 also the fifth time we see this verse it's where and it's a verse that we all know I have said these things to you that in me you may have feet you may have peace but in this world you will have tribulation, but Tharcio, take heart, I have overcome the world. What does this word mean? This word means to be literally warmed from within. Warmed from within. It's to be emboldened by the, the power that's being infused into you, okay? So as, as, a, as a pediatrician, I've seen this so many times in my career. So some child will come into the hospital for blood loss of some sort, a motor vehicle accident or or some disease process that causes their blood cells to be destroyed. And, and when they come in, they're pale, they're fatigued, they just look sick. And, and you check the blood, and it blood show, the blood tests show you that this child is severely anemic. So the next step you make, one is you know you want to make sure that you can stop whatever the bleeding is, but then the next step after that is to give them blood. And when you give them a blood transfusion, within hours, they get pink. They get, their, their fatigue lifts. They have a rejuvenation. They're warmed from within. That's how I looked at that. as, I, as how as I was imagining that. And so as I see this, Jesus is telling us that, yeah, we're going to have some troubles in this world, but be warmed. Be warmed from within. Be emboldened because his death and his resurrection has now spiritually transfused us with his blood. His blood. Into our veins. And if Jesus has overcome the world, we are now overcomers through his Holy Spirit that has been infused within us. Right? Paul tells us in Romans 8 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what Jesus is saying to this paralyzed man, he's saying, Take heart. Be emboldened from within to have courage why why is he telling him this he's telling him this because in a few seconds Jesus knows that his blood Jesus blood is going to be coursing through this man's veins and that healing blood is going to arrive at this man's paralyzed legs and the power of the enemy that has kept him immobile for all those years is going to be destroyed by the dynamite power in the blood of Jesus you guys see that like it's so easy to read this verse and be like okay quick but this is what's happening here he's saying I'm about to do some dynamite work in your body and destroy what the enemy has put in there and even before that healing comes this man is going to be receiving something completely unexpected not only is Jesus about to heal his temporary physical needs in this world but he's gonna bring a healing of eternal consequence Right? tells him, take heart, and then he tells him, my son. And the word, my son, is technon. And technon actually means a child, like a little child. Someone who is living in complete dependence on somebody else, like a parent, typically. And Jesus is affirming, in this paralyzed man's heart, that he is a child of God. And for some of you, you had great dads, right? I had a great dad I have a great dad I have a great father-in-law I have I have father figures in my life that have been so good to me but some of you have not and for you to be called a child of God boy that's got to be a powerful thing when you maybe felt just like this paralyzed man some feelings of aloneness or isolation in your life and this paralyzed man is being told right now you are not without a father you have a heavenly father that you can always depend on. Has anyone seen that show called The Chosen? Have you seen that one yet? It's a good show. It's free. I mean, you're supposed to, you know, give money uh, to help them keep doing it, but, but you can watch it for free, and uh, it's it's a wonderful show. And one of the episodes, uh, uh, it shows Jesus um, walking up to a paralyzed man, not, not this particular man, walking up to a paralyzed man, and, and, and it gives you this, this, this look at what it would have been like to be this man, and, and the miracles, and, and all of the things that this man would have needed just to even make it to that moment of being before Jesus. And that isolation that he must have felt before Jesus came, and the people around them saying to him, It's your fault. You, you did this. You can't get into the water fast enough. Your sin, your father's sin, is why you're paralyzed. And what Jesus is saying here, opening up this dialogue with this man, saying, You are a child. You are my child. Technon. He's telling him he's beloved, and he's telling this first-century Jewish audience, you see this disabled man? He's a child. He's a child of the God, the God Most High. And he's saying, I don't cause this paralysis, but I sure have the dynamite to heal it. And then Jesus tells the man that his sins are now forgiven. And the word now for for forgiven is affianti. And get a load of this. Affianti means when something is being sent far away, so far away that it'll never return. Okay, so Jesus isn't saying that this man caused his own paralysis or did something that caused his own paralysis. He's not saying that the sins of this man caused his own paralysis, but what he's recognizing is that this man, just like all of us, has sin in his life, and he needs a spiritual cleansing and a life transfusion that can only come from Jesus. And I'm almost certain that this paralyzed man, one of his sins must have been doubt, right? He's been living for years with this paralysis. He must have doubted God at some point in his life, and during his deepest times of struggle, his thoughts might have even included cursing God. You know, if you're a loving God, why would you leave me this way for so long? But now this paralyzed man can take heart and be warmed from within because those sins are being sent away. Look at this in Psalms 103. Verses 10 to 13, talking about God, it says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. See, the greatest thing that Jesus could ever have done has just been done for this man. His sins have been removed. As far as the east is from the west, his sins have been removed. He is no longer defined or bound by any prior sin in his life. I think that someone needs that reminder in here tonight. Right? There have been words that have come from your mouth. There have been actions that have been done by your arms, your hands, there have been thoughts that have resided in your heart but praise God hallelujah they are gone as far as the East is from the West when you give those things to Jesus he doesn't just like okay they're right here right now he says you want me to take those things I take them as far as the East is from the West They can't define you anymore if you don't allow them to define you because God has said they're gone so whatever has gone on in your life hear Jesus saying this take heart my son Be internally warmed by this news, my child. With joy I have removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? You know, the the old adage, if you dig a hole, eventually you get to China. It's actually not true. I checked online. You can find out anything on the internet now. So if we were to dig a hole from here all the way straight through the globe, we would end up at the bottom of the Indian Ocean, just west of Australia, actually. So just envision this today. When you give your sin to Jesus, it's not just washed clean. It's permanently found at the bottom of the ocean on the other side of the world tonight. Your sin, no matter how great, how recent, how dirty, how disgusting, how hidden it is, you give it to Jesus tonight and he will lovingly take it so far from you that it will never be attached to you again. Amen? What an awesome God that we serve. Now let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And behold, again, how about that? Some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Behold, two consecutive verses. Matthew wants us to slow down. Reading the story, it's so natural. I just want to get to that point, but I gotta slow down because we're gonna behold, because this is Pops, and in Pops we're in no rush to move quickly when God wants to show us something. I think he has something to show us here in this verse first remember that from Luke 5:17 that we talked about before there were all these religious leaders hanging out in the periphery watching from all over the region to see Jesus do what he just did which was forgive this man's sin I want to catch him in this moment and what response do we see from them now they're thinking probably murmuring grumbling maybe they're shifting a little uncomfortably why because only God has the power and the ability to forgive sins. And Jesus has just forgiven this man's sins. Right? Isaiah 43, tells us, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And later on it says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. There's so many verses like this all throughout the Old Testament, and it is only God forgiving sin. And the scribes, they know these verses, and Jesus, he knows these verses. And the skeptics, you know, you'll run into people who maybe have a little bit of knowledge of the Bible, and they'll say, hey, listen, in in the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus never comes right out and says, I'm God. So, you know, it's John, like written much later. He's the only one that ever says things like, I and the Father are one. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you don't see those verses in there. So the skeptic might say, see, Jesus doesn't think he's God. And cults actually form from these types of thought process. They think, oh, Jesus was a good person, but he's not actually God. Well, let me give you a modern example that maybe puts this into play, right? Let's say I come up here and I make a statement. I tell you, hey, listen, I'm black, and I'm 6 foot 6. And in 1982, I made the game-winning shot against Georgetown. And then I won six NBA championships, and I made billions of dollars for Nike and uh, McDonald's. I'm obviously describing the greatest ever not LeBron. Greatest ever, Michael Jordan, right? I'm obviously describing Jordan. I'm not saying I am Michael Jordan, but they are, but that everything I'm saying is like, that's only Jordan, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. All throughout the Gospels, he proclaims himself as God because only God does this. This is the only person that could do this, and the forgiveness of sin is territory only for God so now these religious leaders they have to make a decision is Jesus really God because I think most of you probably recognize that I'm not Michael Jordan I know that's hard to believe but I'm not but if I persisted in proclaiming that I was I would be blaspheming the name of Michael Jordan, right? Because the word blasphemy, we talk about it in religious context, but really all that word actually means is, is, is reducing the fame. Blast means reducing and famey means fame. So it's reducing the fame of somebody else. So if I keep saying I'm Michael Jordan, I'm reducing the greatness of Michael Jordan by saying that I am he, especially on the basketball court. So in the case of blasphemy against God, there's two ways you can blaspheme the name of God. One would be saying something that's totally contradictory to the nature of God. In a few chapters, we'll see how Jesus, when he heals the demon-possessed man, the Pharisees say, um, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, this is Matthew 12, 24, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. See, when the Pharisees say that, that's blasphemy because they're taking what is clearly the power of the Holy Spirit and giving credit to the devil, to the exact opposite of who God is. Like, that is blasphemy. And and Jesus later says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. The unforgivable sin that we've heard about. In a nutshell, it's when you take what is gracious and merciful and loving, God actions, and you take that away from God and you instead attribute it to the devil. That is blasphemy. That is showing a complete lack of understanding or accepting of what God has done. It's not unforgivable in the sense that God could not forgive. It's unforgivable because if you think that Satan has the capacity to be loving and forgiving, it shows that you don't understand the nature and the reputation and the name of God. It's blasphemy to speak words or have a life that glorifies Satan for the things that God has done. So returning now to this Matthew verse this issue that we're going to see in this section is the second way to commit blasphemy and that's proclaiming to be God if you are not God so Jesus proclaims that he's God by forgiving the sins so where I want to end here tonight and we'll pick up with this next time is with a really is with a core truth okay and this core truth is very simple Jesus is God and therefore when he does things that only God can do it is not blasphemy Jesus is God in the flesh showing us what God looks like and sometimes it takes some cultural context like we saw today to hear Jesus proclaiming his identity as God but sometimes it's as clear as can be and I'll leave you with these verses John 1:1. in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God John 10:30. we saw earlier I and the Father are one John 12.45, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. John 14.9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And Paul, he he continues on. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He says in Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Philippians 2.6 says, who. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. And my favorite, Hebrews 1 3, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. This is Jesus. So for some of you tonight, you may be thinking, Well, of course, Jesus is God. I've been a Christian for you know how many years? You know, that's basic. I know that. That's Christianity 101. But one thing that I've seen over the years is I've seen how. Clearly, Christians can miss this point. Essentially playing a role in blaspheming the Lord by proclaiming a different Jesus than the one revealed to us in Scripture. I've seen people who follow a politicized version of Jesus and they point fingers at sinners who disagree with their politics. I've seen people who want to worship a military-style Jesus, full camo, AK-47, enemy killing. I've heard people who proclaim an angry, Jesus, who wants to bring physical harm to people when he gets upset. Sometimes I've heard people even say that people get natural disasters in their part of the world because God's so angry at them because they're so sinful. And there's so many other examples that so-called Bible-believing Christians will follow. But tonight, I want every man in this place to stop all blasphemy. Any bringing down of the reputation of God by attributing evil to a God who is only good and only love. And we're going to start with verse 4 next time, but I want to read it right now. It says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? And I don't think this is Jesus angrily growling at them. Why do you think evil in your hearts? I think it's Jesus lovingly reaching out to this misguided people and saying, I am God. And I'm showing love to my creation with this man right before me. Why? Why do you think evil in your hearts? Why are you attributing what I am doing as from a source other than God why are you accusing me of blasphemy because you can't recognize what God in action looks like and I say to you never take my word for it never take anyone's word for it seek the truth that is found in his word on your own interpret the word in the light of the real Jesus revealed on Calvary's hill dying willingly for the sins of humanity to rescue and redeem those who were his enemies Proclaiming to all this, this is what God looks like. This is what love looks like. And then we can be unified in following after that Jesus, the real Jesus in our lives, and what an eternal impact that we can make, brothers, when we do that.
0: What another fantastic message from our brother Kishore. There's a couple things that stood out in this message that I wanted to share with you. The first one is that word, behold, behold. Slow down. Calm your mind. Let the Holy Spirit give you peace. Listen. Hear from the Lord. It's so important to behold, to reflect, to slow down. Our lives are so crazy. Our minds are so jumbled. In this day and age, if we don't stop and behold, you're going to miss so much from the Lord. The second thing that really stood out to me is a question. Am I reflecting Jesus Or am I being more like those Pharisees? What am I putting out in the world? Judgment? Condemnation? Elite attitude? Or am I reflecting the love of Jesus every day in every aspect of my life? I know I need some work. And maybe, as you behold, you'll find that you need to reflect Jesus a little more too. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. We're so glad you're here. Be blessed.